Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the beginning of the church year and the end of the world. Today's gospel reading may have struck you as a pretty strange way to start off a fresh new church year. Not to mention to start off the season of the church year that gets us ready for Christmas. After all, Christmas is a sweet celebration of a baby and his vulnerable young parents, singing angels and believing shepherds and a guiding star and wise men bringing presents. So why today are we talking about tribulation, the sun going dark, the moon fading out, stars falling from heaven, and the end of life as we know it? I admit, it is tempting to ignore these bits of the Bible, even for me. They have been so badly misused in the history of the church. Countless false prophets have come along in the past 2,000 years and said, this is it, the end is near, Jesus is coming next week, next month, at this exact date and time and location. Repent now, change your ways, and by the way, please also give me all your money. Religion, including the Christian religion, is at its worst when it exploits people's fears with empty threats of judgment and punishment. And yet, our principle in the church should always be this. Reject what is false, clean up what is left, and keep on preaching what is true. So, as Christian believers, we do proclaim that Jesus was God's very own Son, as truly God, as God is God, who came to us as a baby in the manger at Bethlehem. But we also proclaim that the same Son of God grew up, undertook a preaching ministry to declare repentance and the kingdom of heaven, who healed and fed and rescued people, lost his own life on the cross, won it again on Easter morning, 40 days later ascended into heaven, and did so with a promise to return again someday. In other words, if we believe that the Son of God came once in history, 2,000 years ago, we must also believe that he will come again. Advent prepares us not only for the Son of God's first coming at Christmas, but also his next coming, whenever that may be. So Jesus' return is a true promise, but it's a false promise if we claim to know the exact hour he will come again. We don't. Nobody does. Even Jesus said that he didn't know. So if Jesus doesn't know, you better believe no one else on earth knows either. The other false promise we often hear associated with this, or rather threat, is to warn people that when the Son of God returns, it will be terrible. Well, it will be terrible for our sins, because Christ will deprive us of our sins once and for all. It will be terrible for evil, yes, because Christ will seal it up and lock it down, and that will be the end of it. But for us, for the us that Christ made us to be, his return will be good, very good. 
Whatever we lose at Christ's return will be more than compensated for by all the good he will give us in its place. We in this life are so attached to our mistaken loves that it's almost impossible to imagine that Christ will replace them with true and authentic loves. But Christ will do that. It is his unshakable promise to restore and redeem creation. Okay, even if that's true, what are we supposed to do in the meanwhile? Why does Jesus bother to tell us about the end times, the very end of all things, when chances are most of the people who hear his words won't be directly affected by it, by the end? Can't we just proceed on the assumption that the end of the world will not happen in our own lifetimes and get on with the hard business of staying alive right now? I freely admit that I very much doubt the end of the world will come in my lifetime or yours. I believe that God really does love this creation of his, even in its fallen and broken state. I think God thinks we are more worthwhile than we think we are. So despite all the wars and the horrors, the hurts and the betrayals, God wants to keep this world of his going, and that includes us too. Whatever God makes, God promises also to redeem. So why would he stop making his world just yet? So this is the case, and yet Jesus still spoke then and now to us with the words, be on guard, keep awake. For we do not know when the end will come. Jesus then tells a story to illustrate his point. Imagine the head of a large household. He needs to go away on a trip, so he can't keep direct watch on his household. He directs and trusts the members of his household to do as he says. He speaks to each of his servants and charges them to keep up with their jobs. Be diligent at the work I've given you, he tells them. And he tells the doorkeeper especially to stay awake. Don't fall asleep on the job. Keep your eyes open because there's no way of knowing exactly when the head of the household will return from his trip. It might be today, tomorrow, or next year. It could be in the morning, at noon, or at night. Nobody knows, and at this moment, even the head of the household doesn't know when he will return. But when he returns, he wants to see that everyone has remained faithful to their work and that they have been waiting faithfully for him. Now, it seems like a simple illustration, but when you start to think about it, it's quite a strange situation. The only real reason this household exists at all is because of the head of the household who hired all his workers and brought them together. And yet, in the story, he is away from them for an unknown extended period of time. The household somehow has to keep itself glued together around the one person who isn't there. You can easily see how quickly you would get distracted and lose focus in that situation. You can imagine certain people getting tired of the lack of direction and leadership, so they'd try to take over and run the household their way. Or others who are kind of lazy would use the head of the household's absence as an excuse to do nothing at all. And others, losing hope that the head will ever come back, just quit 
and wander off to find employment elsewhere. How can any of these members of the households keep faith with the head of the households and continue to live and work according to his wishes until he comes again? That is the great question of this story. And Jesus tells us how, stay awake. And yet, soon after Jesus tells this story, he himself goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to prepare himself in prayer for his crucifixion, and his three closest companions, the most important members of his household of disciples, you can think of them as the doorkeepers to the disciples, all of them fall asleep. At this crucial, painful moment in the life of the head of their households, they all doze off. So much for staying awake. Well, given that disappointing example, what can we do? We can promise to stay awake, but will we? If we are reasonably confident that Jesus won't return anytime soon and put an end to the life as we know it, why bother? Why not just doze off into peaceful sleep? Wouldn't that be better anyway than always keeping a fearful eye on the end of the world? Well, I think there are at least two reasons why we should keep pinching ourselves awake. The first is that, unless we keep on waiting for the head of the household to return, sooner or later, we'll start looking to someone or something else to become the head of our households. If Jesus isn't running our house, believe it, someone else will. The replacement for Jesus might be something subtle, almost invisible, like our own ambitions or our wishes for more money or nice things. Our replacement for Jesus might be a noble cause, like a political campaign or an ethical commitment. Of course, our replacement for Jesus might be something genuinely awful, like violence or domination or the superiority of one group of people over another. But whatever it is, if it takes the place of God, if anything that is not God takes the place of God, we will find ourselves serving in a very different households, and we will quickly find ourselves demoted from friends and disciples to disposable slaves and interchangeable parts in an impersonal machine. We can't actually have a functioning household and enjoy the good things of this earth unless God is at the top of them all. God at the top keeps everything else in its right place. Stop watching for God, stop waiting for God, stop keeping awake for God, and suddenly you will find yourself in chains to God's replacement. But let's suppose you can manage a pretty decent life without God at the top of it. It can happen. But no matter how good anyone's life is, everyone's life ends in death. Your death may not be the end of the world, but it's certainly the end of your world. And then what? The dead have no power to live on. The dead have no power to do anything. Unless the dead are in the care of the God who gives life to the dead and existence to things that don't exist. Strange as it seems, 
the most important moment of your life to stay awake is the last moment. The moment when all your powers cease and you permanently, unmistakably pass into the care of God. It sounds like a fearful and terrible thing, but it's not. In that moment, the head of the household comes home. It's a joyful reunion, the family back together again at last. Why would you want to sleep through that? So keep awake, be alert and ready to welcome the Lord when he comes for you. Amen.